episode back since having a baby i can't remember i think so congrats because yeah thanks it's been a sleepless few weeks but you know making it through it's good times it's great we were yeah. very excited on your deployment yes <laughs> it was all the wife's work <laughs> yeah 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 it's a team like there's a support team right I and mean, then there's yeah, the right. people actually make the deploy right I'm just waiting for the tickets to come in and she's yeah, doing yeah, the yeah. actual deployment <laughs> Yeah, it's good to be back. Jason is out today, but still on his sabbatical, right? Till the end of, till Monday, I guess. So. Till Monday. I mean, how cool is it to work at a place where you get a sabbatical and you can just take a month off and do whatever you want? It is I'm very jealous. cool. Yeah. My I boss can't wait isn't like that. that cool. Yeah, you're, I've heard <laughs> things about your boss, honestly. <laughs> so you might've seen on Twitter, the doctor's like, oh, you got to feed him every two to three hours. Wake him up at night every two to three hours to feed him. And we're pretty good at remembering for a while, but then we start getting more and more sleep deprived. And then you're like, when did we feed him? And the wife doesn't know. I don't remember. So I was bored one night and there's been multiple times where I'm up at three in the morning and I'm like, I can't go back to bed. So I'm just going to sit here and do something fun. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go build an Alexa skill. And we just got an Alexa device in our bedroom in one of the kitchens. So we can just be like, Alexa, record a feeding. And when was the last feeding? And ask it. And all it is is like a Rails app that Alexa listens for the phrases, makes a post request to your Rails app with like the matching intent of whatever the words you said match a intent. And then my Rails app just says, oh, you said this one? Then we'll query the database for the last entry that's feeding and return the timestamp and then speaks it and uh, vice versa for recording ones. And it's like easiest thing ever. But now you have like a whole voice interface to your Rails app, which is like freaking cool. And then right. I was surprised, but like if you've ever used Twilio before, like it's the same interface, more or less. It's the same webhook process. So it's really easy to work with and stuff if you're familiar with that, which is pretty fun. That was nice. That was a good little fun hackathon project by myself at four in the morning one night. <laughs> the times that you're up at four in the morning would be surprised if I'm up as well doing the exact same <laughs> damn thing. But I didn't realize that you create a whole Rails app when you first tell me about this. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, because you are encouraged to use lambdas for it. And that's probably what you would really want to do if you're doing something that was heavily used or anything. But for simplicity, just use a Rails app. There's a Alexa Ruby library that you can use as well. I didn't use it because the magic is returned some JSON. Right. And that's it. And the formats are a little like specific. So if you want to use plain text, you just say like output speech is plain text and here's the text. And it just says it out loud. But there are a lot of other things you can do, like play videos. You can turn on and off devices. And there's a lot of examples of different home automation things you can set up. But I was just doing a simple thing. They have the plain text and the SSML, which is a speech something markup language. Yeah. And that one's cool where it's like, you can tell it, Read this number as like a cardinal number or spell out this word or whisper this or be excited when you say this. It's pretty neat that you can like 
very easily do that stuff. And that library will help you compose those JSON responses and you can chain things together and it will build up the response and then give you the JSON that you render back out. And that's super handy. So you don't have to learn all of the SSML and whatever other nuances, but it's nice to learn how to do it from scratch so you can understand. Yeah, this gem makes my life easier, but here's why. Because otherwise we have to do it this way. So that's interesting. I didn't know that's how like the echo system worked. I'm big into like Apple automation stuff and like Mm -hmm. shortcuts. And so when you mentioned it to me this morning, I was like, oh, how would I build that? Well, I would just make a little quick shortcut on my phone and integrate with this app that allows you to basically make a database and then just I'll put it right there. But you're like, oh, no, I made a whole Rails app. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's cool that you can integrate with the other stuff. In general, it's either going to send a request to a Lambda or like an HTTPS endpoint somewhere. So you just like boot up ngrok and send it to your local Rails app and you're done. And they had the shortcuts for the Node and Python Lambda environments. They didn't have one for Ruby, but I'm pretty sure they support Ruby now. So there's a, yeah, you can do that. So you should be able to like just run all of this in your Lambda environment and wouldn't have to even run a Rails app or anything, which is nice because then you don't have to deploy that to Heroku or something and maintain that. You could just have it run at will. But yeah, it is like surprisingly easy. I've been fiddling with that a lot more lately because it's the middle of the night and you're like, uh, I got to reach into the lamp and find that little knob to go turn. So I bought a couple of the TP-Link outlet plugs and plug the lamps into that. Now I can just be like, Alexa, turn on my lamp or a light or whatever. And then voila, I can go grab the baby and feed him and not have to fiddle around anymore. And the fun thing too, is you can set up the like combinations. So it's like, turn off my lamp, my wife's lamp, arm the ring home alarm system and whatever, and do that all in one command. For the longest time, like that stuff wasn't very reliable and I was not very excited about automation stuff like that. But now it's pretty solid and yeah. I'm starting to basically wish that every light was Wi-Fi connected or whatever. We're on vacation and the garage door is connected to Wi-Fi and we had ordered some furniture and they arrived and I'm on the East Coast and they were like, yeah, we're here for your delivery. And I was like, you are? Yeah. And I was able to open the garage door and let them in to deliver that while I wasn't going to be back home for like another week or anything. It would have been a real pain in the butt, but we were able to do that all. have my cameras and I can see them when they're done, shut the garage door and everything. It's cool. It's been a lot of fun. I want to do more projects like that just because they're interesting and we'll have probably Christmas lights up on the house and then being able to like turn them on at dusk and turn them off after four hours or whatever. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I've got a couple that I use. I used to have a lot more and then I kind of scaled everything back. But one that I really like is if it's nighttime and I arrive home because every time I leave home, I want all the lights to turn off. And every time I come back home, if it's nighttime, it will turn on certain lights in the house. And so when I walk in the door, like I can even see it when I'm out walking, I can see it. Like I'll get close to the house and then the light, I'll see the lights turn on from outside. Oh, that's awesome. That's and really cool. great. The promise of all this stuff is like that it's really cool, really convenient and whatever. But then the actual programming becomes absolute nightmare very quickly because it's like, it's fine if it's just you. But if it's you and your spouse, 
your spouse might be home and you leave and then it turns all the lights off while your spouse is still there. She's mm-hmm. not going to be happy about that. And then it gets to be like the level of complexity grows exponentially right. fast on some of those things. But yeah. the basic ones, oh, they're amazing. So nice. Yeah. Apple has that built in. If I am at home in the morning, it'll run a workflow at 4.30 in the morning to turn all the lights on and turn the TV on and start blasting something in my face. So I get up. So it's a lot of fun. I don't know if there are any like plugs that I've seen. I've not actually looked for it, but like the 240 volt or whatever for your dryer. Yeah. Whatever. I've wanted to get one just to measure the power because you can actually see like the dryer turned off because the power usage dropped and then you could have that like send you a text message or notification. Hey, dryer's done because it'll be done, but I'll not hear it and then I'll forget about it. Won't change the laundry as efficiently as I should be. I make it through one load instead of three that day or whatever. And little things like that, I think would be sweet. But it's also like a weird thing where you're like, all of this stuff is kind of internet connected these days, but like, some of these devices, they still haven't bothered to like, they yeah. haven't added that yet. Why? Yeah. You don't need a plug for your dryer. You just need a new dryer. They have dryers that will I like work with automations. Yeah. And it'll text yeah, and we, stuff. We bought like a Speed Queen or whatever that's trying to be the more commercial. They last more than five years. Right. But yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons why it's, yeah, we don't do that because we're trying to be more reliable. That makes sense. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, cool. I uh, will say, if you are thinking about putting something on a Lambda, I learned this recently. The Lambdas are locked down to, you can only use up to Ruby 2.7. I think I saw that when I was poking around, which is really annoying. It's annoying because it affects downstream providers too. Because for Cell, you can write serverless Ruby functions and host them for free. And it's mm-hmm. really fun. And then that's great. But you can not use Ruby 3 because of this limitation from AWS. Yeah, man, that's frustrating. And you would think that if they were building it to support multiple language versions, that it would be a system they could just automatically right. drop in 3.0, and voila, those would be available. But yeah, I don't know, maybe they're doing something weird and it's just like a lot of work to support the new versions. But yeah, maybe it's just not being used enough for them to even care. I don't know. Right. Who knows? That's too bad. I wonder if it's like a Docker container that's somewhere. All of the internet is Docker containers. <laughs> oh, and yeah. There's, under uh, all the containers is a regex. There is an AWS Lambda build user on Docker Hub that has a AWS Lambda Ruby image up here. Maybe that's it. Need to convince somebody at Amazon to update that. Yeah, I'll just call Jeff. Yeah. Well, Jeff invested in Basecamp, so just hit up, hit up DHH to go bother him. Yeah. Hey, DHH, <laughs> I have something very important I need you to do. <laughs> A mission, if it were. Yeah. I saw earlier today in the like This Week in Rails updates that PR for improving the text for the no template message. I've run into that many times and like I recognize the wording now and what it means, but reading it, it was very terse and hard to kind of understand even as a experienced Rails dev. So it's nice that he's updated this wording and even included a link to the Rails guides in it, which is awesome. I was reading that today and like that got merged. 
seven days ago or something, but they were talking as well about if we are writing this error message and we can tell you which file is missing, then we could create that file for you as well. Right. And we could like update the text of the error message with the correct class name and action name and everything. So I was reading that and I was like, oh yeah, you know, that actionable errors that was introduced so that when there's a migration missing and they have that run migrations button, you can mm-hmm. do the exact same thing with this error in Rails and have it generate that template. So if somebody else doesn't get to it before I do, I might pack on that because that would be a fun little feature to add to Rails. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of nuances to it. And this is like one of those things that open source is kind of hard to contribute to at the scale of Rails because you might get the error because the HTML.erb file is missing. But what if it was a JSON request or an XML request or like a PDF format or variants, iPhone, HTML. So I don't know, do you just use those and spit out that file? And even if it's XML and they may not support that, do you just write out a XML.erb file? I don't know. I think for me, I would want the button to work for the easiest case for the most common people. And so personally, the way I would write it is, hey, there's no file here. If you click this button, we will make a new HTML or whatever the default language is. We'll make a new file with that template. We're not going to get fancy for you. If you need to do that, you should add the file yourself, right? But this easy little button, put it there so that it makes it easier for newer developers and for people who are just moving quickly. Just press it like they're good to go. But for the advanced stuff, I'm like, eh, should Rails really care about that? And then then do you like like Windows or Linux and how do you make a file on these different systems? and And then do you like... Just lock it down to like, we'll only show that button if it's HTML or something. Yeah, that could work. But maybe even then that like error stuff, it may not work because you may have to conditionally respond to that if it's HTML format. So it ends up being one of those things where you're like, in theory, this feature is like two seconds to implement, but the like polished version of it that you would actually want to ship in the framework is probably a few hours worth of work and little decisions like that, that you would have to talk to the maintainers about how it should be built or whatever and do your stupid, simple implementation, make a PR for it, talk with the maintainers, figure out what needs to change to make it actually shippable. Because I could definitely see like, yeah, you made an XML request and we could just create an XML.erb file, but it wouldn't actually be used because XML isn't a registered format or whatever the case or like json jbuilder right do you need a jbuilder in the exception do we need to put an exception for that kind of stuff yeah and it turbo streams right you name it there's like a lot of little nuances to it and it's unfortunate because you'd love to go contribute to rails but the amount of little decisions there right along the way make it really a lot harder to contribute than you would kind of expect We started with a button and now we're almost at like a drop down, you know? Yeah, yeah, seriously. You're like, we don't want ideally any logic for this button. It should just do its thing. But right. now you're like, do we need to check these settings? And can we do this? Does the button need to be hidden in these cases and available in others? And it's like, well, maybe this is too complicated for the value that it provides. Yeah. You uh, get to the very end, you're like, no one gets a button. No button. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's an interesting problem to think about. And these are the things that I would love to 
see people use throughout Rails plugins, like if the errors in Devise or something popular in Rails all were actionable errors or the ones that can be, how killer would that be? Like you have an error and then it's like, hey, this is what went wrong. Click this button and we'll fix it for you because the error messages usually are telling you, you did this thing wrong. We looked for this file. It doesn't exist. They know exactly what's wrong. So you could click the button and just have it do that fix for you. The more we can implement stuff like that, the better. Like the more user friendly the framework is for, especially for juniors, but like even for seniors and anybody doing Rails on a regular basis, that's awesome. Like I see that once in a while. I'm like, oh shoot, I created the controller, totally forgot to write that file. It could right. make the folder for you. If the folder doesn't exist yet, make sure the folder exists and create the file. And it's like, could do some really quick little things that are very minor, but save you time, keep you in the right train of thought as you're doing your work too, not jarring you and saying, oh my God, this error is here because we couldn't find this file. Oh my God. And you're like, ah, it can be overwhelming sometimes. And you're like, what the hell? It's like, hey, we looked for this file and didn't found it. So then we looked in every single extension and then they list all the (laughs) file extensions. And then they're like, and then we we looked in the, and we looked through all the paths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, okay, I see this error and now I have to, like, my eye knows where to look for like the important yeah. piece. Yeah. And it's like these keywords in this whole giant message they gave us are the only useful things I need to know 90% of the time. Right. And the extra context there is actually taking away from how easy it is, which is kind of funny. Like you would think the more yeah. information, the better, but absolutely not in some of those cases. You're used to like, working on your app and you're seeing your layout and all of a sudden the whole screen turns red and you're like, the text is red, nap here is red, everything is very bad. But yeah, I don't know. Something about that always really, really, really excited me when I saw the actionable errors drop. But then of course, like it's used on migrations and that's Mm -hmm. about the only place that I know of otherwise that uses that. Love to see more of that. More gems, more actionable errors. That'd be great. Yes, indeed. Hi, my name is Andrew Mason, and I'd like to tell you about Honey Badger. Whether USDS1 is down or you forget to add a configuration file, everyone has an outage from time to time. When your next outage occurs, transparency is critical. The difference between a minor annoyance that people soon forget and a fiasco that creates sustained resentment is how you communicate. That's why you need Honey Badger. Honey Badger is a crucial component of your incident response plan with their uptime monitoring service that now has an exciting new feature, public status pages. Create a new status page with custom domains, branding, and more. Don't let Twitter be the only way your users can find out if your app's down. Sign up for Honey Badger to improve your incident response with a shiny new status page that you'll be proud to show users. Visit honeybadger.io and start giving your users a better experience today. Let them know that Remote Ruby and specifically Andrew Mason sent you. A quick thought. I had this thought for an actionable error. You have a gem and it needs an initializer in order to set some things. They start the gem. They call it. There's no initializer. We know where initializers are in Rails apps. We'll put it there for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We could just copy over the default initializer and... Yeah. Or like you forgot to run the setup task and then the button just runs the setup task. Yeah. Oh, that's freaking cool. It wouldn't work in all cases, but hey, we tried to connect to Postgres. Your Postgres server returned the like, can't connect to the sock file, which means that probably Postgres isn't running. And 
it seems that you have Postgres installed on a Mac. We'll run brew services start PostgreSQL or something. Oh, God, that's a can of worms right yeah, there. Yeah, this is a good example of like how the rabbit hole can go. That stuff's kind of awesome. If you could do that, then you can make it where it's like the most beginner friendly framework ever. Right. Like that would be super awesome. Right. There's a limit to that madness of how much work you could invest in all that. And the payoff may or may not be there. Right. Not for all those things, but some right. of them for sure. For sure. This week, I've been doing a lot of turbo work. I also did a little bit of ES build API exploration. Mm. I've been using ES build ever since Bridgetown moved to it. So I'm familiar with an ES build configuration file. I'm familiar with some of the concepts. And we were in a meeting and someone just kind of offhandedly mentioned, oh, by the way, we have some files in ES build now and the rest are in Webpacker. By the way, all the files, all the JavaScript <laughs> files serving in ES build, there's no source maps in development. So if you try to put a debugger line, you get put in some weird place in the world and you have no context of what the code you're looking at or anything. And I had seen that. I didn't put two and two together that it was because of source maps. I was just, eh, JavaScript's weird, whatever. And <laughs> kind of just went about my day. But I was like, oh, let me go take a look because that would be helpful. And I was like, okay, so we have a custom ES build configuration file. It's not very complicated at all. Very, very basic. And I was like, all right, well, I know how to add source maps in ES build. It's built right into the framework. So I was like, oh, so we are inlining source maps, which is interesting. That's not the default. So it was set specifically. And I was like, all right, well, like, what does inline do? So I go to look at the docs and right there in the docs for inline, it's like, you absolutely do not want to do this in production because it will make the size of your file like X amount bigger, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, oh, well, that's kind of weird. Let me go look at the size of this JavaScript file in production. And let's just say that was a big, big file. I was like, holy <laughs> crap. Okay. Because I also realized we weren't minifying it correctly, I don't think either. So I was like, all right, all right, oh, all, right, sure. all right. I was like, so this is obviously a problem. So I changed it to linked, which is, I believe, the default. And linked to source maps is basically, they create a separate js.map, css.map file. And that is all the source maps. And then the JavaScript file, what ESBuild does is it inserts a comment into your CSS or JavaScript file, and that points to the source map. And that's the common method for most browsers. So when I switched yep. it to linked, it just worked. And I was like, perfect. But then I was like, okay, I just did it. I just killed it. It was a Friday. I was like, balling. We're done. What a great week. And I deployed it. And then I got a message in Slack. And CTO Jamie was like, why did the build take longer? And so I was like, wait. And he's like, did ES build cause the build to take longer? And so I looked. And pre-compiling assets with this setting on, the whole deploy took like four extra minutes, which is Dang. completely unacceptable. And so I was like, how though? Because ESBuild generating the source maps didn't take long. It took like 1.8 seconds. I'm like, so what is happening in this pre-compile asset stage? Why is it taking so much longer? And then I was like, and wait, why does it then look like it's destroying the pre-compiled assets? I'm like, so <laughs> what is actually happening here? I never quite figured it out. As soon as Jason like logs in on Monday morning, we're like, yo, let's just sit down and look at this. Cause I think there are actually like decisions that need to be made and I don't want to make them by myself because it's going to impact things moving forward. So it's like, hey, let's make some decisions. Let's choose what we're going to do. Let's set it up correctly so that we're minifying production so that the freaking JavaScript file is not the size that I'm embarrassed to say. So uh, just tools, man, tools. Yeah, this stuff, it just feels like it's all 
lightly glued together, duct taped together sometimes. It's just rails. Now we don't care. Dump the files in this folder or whatever. And that's fine. But then it's like, well, the half the value of this is the convention over configuration approach, which was that you just use the thing and it will do it for you. And you don't have to worry about how do we configure source maps and whatever. And we've gone a bit away from that, which is good because when we tried to do that with Webpacker, it was like not possible because things are so different in that world. So it's gotten much better, but it's still not to the point where I'm like real pleased with it. Yeah, because I was just poking around at source maps and I don't know that they're getting served up correctly. I don't see the special comment at the top of the CSS file like I should. And we maybe are just not passing in the correct source map value. I was passing in like true, but it looks like CS build. Yeah, yeah. If you're using the CLI, it's dash dash source map. And dash dash source map by default will do linked source maps, which is what I said was, I think, the correct thing to do. Yeah, because we're using like the JSON config for it or the JavaScript config and passing in true does use linked. So I'm kind of confused why it's not including that at the top. So that's interesting. Oh, oh, if you open up your deploy logs and then look through where, because I oh, wrote a comment in the build logs that, hey, we couldn't find this file, which was... It was uh, so we just went ahead and removed the comment for you. Oh. And I was like, why is the file not there? I literally told you to build it. That's why I was that's like, wait, interesting. is it somehow getting destroyed or something? Like, I don't, that's the part I don't understand, but that's the comment I saw. Something in like the asset pipeline preprocessor or something is like right. analyzing that and verifying that it works. And that way you don't get an error in production if it doesn't exist. But that would make some sense there. I'll have to check that out and see because... I haven't used the source maps enough myself since I'm using Tailwind for everything. It's kind of like obvious what's what most of the time, but I will have to play with that again because it looks like, again, once again, it needs a little bit of configuration. Our LightDS build config file in Jumpstart, it has three modes. So we have like the ES build, just run and once and done, which you would use in production. We have a watch mode that will just watch and like rebuild automatically, but it won't reload your page right. browser. The reload version will actually watch and reload in the browser, which right. is pretty cool because that one, the way that it works is in your build step for if you were building like a production jQuery plugin or something, you would put your MIT license or something as a comment at the top. You can use ESBuild to inject a banner like that at the top. So for JavaScript files, Instead of injecting a comment, we actually inject a uh, event source listener. So it will like open up the event source. Then we have a node server running. So then when ESBuild rebuilds a file, we'll send a message to that event listener and then it will trigger reload at the page. So you get that like same Webpacker reloading. You don't get like hot module reloading, but you do get like full page reloading, which is nice. Anytime you're doing like you know, design work and you want to save the view and see it update automatically, like voila, you get that too, which is nice. But of course, that's stuff that could be part of ES build, but they don't want to add those features and want to keep it light and lean. But right. And this is definitely no dissing on ES build. I think ES build is dope and it's it's a learning curve for sure, but that's totally fine. And honestly, I kind of trust where they're going. So when they're like, 
hey, we're not going to add this because of these reasons. I want this library yeah. to be fast. And if they're operating like, hey, we want this library to be as fast as possible, and we're going to make decisions to ensure that that stays the same way. And if that leads to like, hey, we're not going to add this feature because of these reasons, I kind of understand that. Because yep. for Webpack, the only reason, well, maybe not the only reason, but one of the biggest reasons Webpack was so successful is because of its rich plugin ecosystem, right? Which ES Build has like plenty of documentation on how to build and add a plugin. So I'm kind of fine with that same kind of mantra moving forward of like, hey, we're going to give you everything you need. And then if you want to automate this stuff or shared configuration, like you can build a plugin because it's your thing for your stuff. And like people might be doing it the same way as you, but not everyone will be. So we'll just give you the tools and then you can build a sandcastle. I very much like that approach as well because you are given control over how it can work. And it's also taking these important stances, which I think is like the opinionated reasons why we like to use Rails. We made these decisions for you. You don't have to worry about any of this stuff. Just follow these rules and it'll stay fast or whatever. And that's good. I appreciate those things. I'm not a front-end dev most of the time. Like I do plenty of front-end work, but I don't want to be spending too much time on this kind of stuff. And I don't want to change it very often. I want it to be fast, reliable, and simple. And I get that out of the ES build. And I know that like the Figma guy wrote this and... He's done a pretty darn good job making it yeah. work for Figma because that has got to be a giant JavaScript application yeah. in your browser. So very uh, impressive. I feel like I'm in good hands. If that works for them, then should be more than enough for me. <laughs> My little stimulus controllers are not that big of a deal in comparison. Right. What I like about the most about ES Build is that there are other now bundlers using it. We'll give you the parts that you want and we'll use ES Build under the hood. I first discovered ES Build because Snowpack was using it. Now it uses it. There's yep. other things that use it. Like I love that. And I don't know if I want us to get to that place with Rails or not, because I don't know if I want ES Builder, but <laughs> like that could be something that someone else builds. Like as a gem is like, hey, like we want live reloading and like I want this stuff. So like I'm gonna yeah, this is how I do it. Put it in a gem. Now y'all can use it too. I agree. I did make a ES Build Rails. ES build plugin. And all it really does is I really didn't want the, because like they don't do glob imports and that's a real pain. So that was one. I want to just drop in a new JavaScript file and the stimulus controllers and it's just there and it's registering right. whatever automatically. So I made that plugin and that's one of the few things that's like worth doing. I could probably add this other reload stuff to that or make another plugin or something for it. And that would probably make sense to do at some point. But yeah, it is definitely nice that you can add those plugins if we need them. But honestly, the simplicity of what we've got there is we don't really need it. Right. I'm glad that, that we don't have to. But it is cool to see like this is the tool that powers the other tools. So if you really need hot module reloading, you can use V because it's going to use, what is it, roll up or something for mm -hmm. development so that it can have those features, but then in production mode, just That's runs the other way around. It. It's ES build and development roll up in production. Oh, okay. How would they support the hot module reloading then? Because that's not a thing that ES build does. I don't know. Magic? It's possible I got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's the way it is. Because I remember that being like one of the things people didn't like about it. Yeah. 
I don't remember. I'll have to look at that again too, but yeah, it's interesting. Did you see that uh, old Shopify acquired Remix run? I did see that. I've been watching Remix for a while just because I've been following the people who built it like for a while now. I think they do cool stuff. So yeah, I've been watching it. Diogo, a guy I work with, again, I will talk about it sometimes like in back channels. I haven't actually used it. I don't know if I have an interest in using it per se, but I think it looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've only vaguely looked at it from Twitter mentions and right. stuff. And I was like, you know, it's cool to see that they're taking similar approaches to other things that we've been using and whatever. So right. it's cool. Clearly Shopify is going and investing heavily in the front end stuff. And that's going to be more cool stuff, I'm sure. So I like to see it. Yeah. Just happened I, to remember seeing that the other day when we we're while we were talking about it. While we're on this topic, so Vercel had a conference they did a week or two ago, and in it, one of the React core maintainers like announced like a new feature and that they had worked really closely with the next team to build this, or maybe it had come out of next. I'm not sure, but there was then this massive discussion that started on Twitter of like. I don't know if I want like a company to have so much control over the framework. Not that I think they do by any means, but it's like, that's how people mm. are kind of presented online because some of the react team maybe is built up of these maintainers. I just think it's very interesting that like they were having this discussion of like, I don't know if I want this Vercel to be so involved with react. And I'm like, but why? Yes, they are going to push forward features that they want, but why is that necessarily a problem? Because I thought about them, like, that's kind of the same way Shopify does in our community, but it doesn't bother me. Did they forget that Facebook is the one that created React? So, like, exactly. Exactly. you know, like, or like, oh, it's a shame that Basecamp is involved in Rails. Like, it right. came from building Basecamp. Like, that's how it goes. Or GitHub contributing back or Shopify. Right. They're using it and making it better. And they're maybe solving problems that you don't need to solve yourself. Database sharding GitHub has. You may not right. need that, but that doesn't hurt anything. It's great to have that stuff. Right. Like, it's funny, but maybe they're afraid of, I don't want it to become a framework that only cares about their problems. We want it to right. also still care about the little guys or the small teams or whatever. Maybe they're afraid of those kinds of things. And I think that is kind of the sentiment, but I just don't truly understand how they arrive at that location. I understand the thought is how did you get there? And then also contribute. Exactly. If those are things that you believe strongly in and you need those tools and whatever, go build them or help people who are building them or support them or talk about those things. Don't complain about we're adding these cool features for large enterprises. Great. That's a good thing. But also we need to invest in the beginner friendliness of Rails cool. Let's do that too. Right. It doesn't have to be exclusive. 100%. Well, man, my headphone batteries are uh, complaining. So we've been talking too long, I think. Same, same, (laughs) same. All right, man. Well, I guess I will see you next week. Yeah. Good to see you for once this month. So yeah, got your daily (laughs) dose. Well, we're starting at that point now where we can sleep and let him sleep as much as he wants. And then when he wakes up and is hungry, then we can get up. So fingers crossed. I won't jinx it, hopefully, but we can start getting like, God forbid, four hours of sleep at a time. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's hoping that you get up to four. The other day I was like hungry in the morning. So I drove to the gas station nearby and got a, like a breakfast sandwich. 
And now. my discovery was that they have the sandwich for $4, but also a promo where you can get the sandwich and a Red Bull for the same price. I think I found my liquid sleep. So, Business. like making moves <laughs> over here at four in the morning. Yeah. We can just start arbitrage. I'll take 400 of these sandwiches. Yeah. Let me go resell these 400 Red Bulls. <laughs> it's our way to get rich. I know. We just exploit the gas stations. Yeah. All right, man. Who knew we had such genius ideas? No one. Maybe I'll be retired by next week. Hey, <laughs> Rebel Tycoon. There's the title. Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to go head to the gas station. Later. All right. Later. <laughs>